Hey, Fresh Capital listeners. In an odd twist of semi-self-reflection, Albert and I are breaking down Spotify, the second largest music streaming provider in the world, with over 365 million total listeners. In a Fresh Capital first, I ended up being far more keen on Spotify as a future investment than Albert. What sold it for me? It's the Spotify experience. I truly feel like Spotify has helped me discover voices and artists that are meaningful to me. Whether that's my weekly sports podcast or a song that brings back fond or sad memories. Spotify feels like it's amplifying this experience, while its competitors, like Apple, are slow to replicate. They just feel like a streaming platform. Of course, Albert had some awesome points on the future of audio too. So listen until the end and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Albert. Albert, how are you going? Dan, I'm good. I'm doubly locked in at the moment. So the um, the key swipe in my building has stopped working and like <laughs> they, they can't get security come in because um, <laughs> because of the, the health regulations in New South Wales is you can't send workers on site unless, you know, it's an emergency because there's a $10,000 fine. So no one can actually use or enter the building, <laughs> which is pretty funny. So I've uh, been locked in. I was trying to get into the building at like, 8am this morning after going to go get coffee and spent like two hours waiting for reception to open up <laughs> and finally they were like oh yeah it's not you it's like everyone in the building <laughs> i think that's where you respond look i know it's not me it's you can we fix this somehow <laughs> yeah. jesus what am i paying all this rent for uh how are you i'm doing well i'm not doubly locked in i sort of do my 7am grocery shopping run saturday mornings before everyone else gets into the shopping malls and dirties it all up. So, yeah, doing all right. You know what they say, early shopper gets the freshest apple. (laughs) (laughs) Freshest bread. (laughs) To to everyone listening, this is the quality of our banter after being locked in for, (laughs) what, two months? Uh, When I I was living um, in the inner west, there was a bakery opposite my apartment. And every morning without fail on like a weekend at like six of, you know, 7 a.m., I'd like walk to the gym past it. But there was always a huge line just to get like this freshly baked sourdough, which costs $15. I was like, people in the inner west love it. They love it. <laughs> well, not for me because I've actually decided I'm, I'm going off bread. I'm going to use lockdown to have a bit of a, a detox. Um We'll see how that goes. Maybe I should start posting my weight every week to to keep on. Keto Dan. Let's do it. (laughs) But anyways, let's talk about this week's company, Albert. This week, we're talking about the pitch for Spotify. Spotify, one of the world's largest music streaming service providers and obviously home to many, many podcasts like ourselves. Albert, do you want to give a bit of a, a teaser or a summary of, of what Spotify is for the listeners that don't know? 
this is uh, a bit of like a Big Brother episode because, you know, um, full disclosure, we, we published through Anchor, which is owned by Spotify. So I guess we can't say anything too negative about our green overlord. Um, but, you know, Spotify, I'm sure a lot of people will be familiar with it. Um, it's an audio and media streaming service that provides its customers, so its end users, access to a digital library of music content, podcasts, and other audio services. You know, they've recently moved into um, live audio through uh, Spotify Green Room. So that's when you can um, log in and listen to people talking live. Uh, currently, Spotify operates in about 178 countries. They've got 365 million uh, monthly active users. So that means each month, about 365 million users will use Spotify. And of that number, about 165 million are paid users. Uh, in financial year 20, they generated about 7.8 billion euro. Um, so Spotify is a Swedish company. Um, so generating and reporting in euro uh, roughly translates to about 9.3 billion US dollars for our US listeners. And for our Australian listeners, it's about 12.6 billion AUD. Currently, Spotify offers a subscription service. So it means, you know, you pay a subscription fee and you get premium access um, to its uh, content. But within this kind of subscription service, they've got a freemium pricing model, which means you can either you know pay for things to get it ad free, or you can listen to Spotify's content uh, for free. But it means you have to listen to ads. It also restricts the kind of things you can do with Spotify. I think it's a great overview. And one of the interesting things comparing Spotify to some of that other subscription companies that we've talked about, Albert, Netflix in particular, Spotify has got like a really balanced distribution of its its monthly active users. It's like 34% Europe, 24% North America, 22% Latin America, 20% rest of the world. Like it's a pretty evenly divided up pie chart. And then if we, we talk a little bit about their revenue generation, it's it's the opposite. It's actually like it's not balanced at all. It's 90% premium subscribers, so essentially the monthly subscription that they get, and then 10% ads. So it's really like weighted one way towards those subscribers. Uh, but as we'll get into, they don't have the exact same model as a Netflix because they're not going to get as much profit as a Netflix gets for, for various reasons. What interests you as a starting point for Spotify, Albert? And I think what's probably a useful way to, to carve it up is to say they've got the music side of Spotify and then they've got the audio side of Spotify, which is like podcasts and other things. Which of those two do you want to tackle first? Yeah, let's, um, let's tackle audio first, Dan. Um, and so maybe a brief history about, you know, music streaming services in um, around the world. You know, traditionally music was distributed through physical distro or physical distribution, you know, CDs, tapes, etc. Um, if you wanted to listen to like streaming music, it would be done either through online streaming services at the time, like YouTube, or it would be done over the radio. Um, so very like kind of historical way of uh, physical based music distribution. Spotify came in at probably the right time where piracy was rife um, online. <laughs> And there was, you know, very um, limited access um, to a lot of music content, except for buying it. Like if you wanted to go buy, like me, like the latest Usher album, you'd have to pay like $20, $25 and buy it from Target or Sanity or whatever. And so, you know, the two problems that Spotify really came and solved was ownership of physical content 
and music was really expensive. Like you'd have to buy the album or a single. Um, you couldn't just listen to a song that you really wanted to. The other thing was like digital piracy whilst um, free um, was really inconvenient. You know, the quality was poor, hard to find the sources. You know, obviously I've never done that, so I wouldn't wouldn't know how <laughs> um, you go about it. But from, you know, what I've read on the internet about, you know, pirating um, music, it was quite inconvenient. So Spotify kind of entered the market as this digital aggregator, which enabled users to pay for access to music and solve this problem of convenience and ownership. So, you know, if you wanted to really listen to music, you could listen to literally anything on the Spotify library for a, a fee that was lower than the cost of a CD. So from there, they've kind of shifted and expanded completely in terms of what they offer, now offering music streaming, like you said, radio, podcasts, Spotify Live, um, which we just briefly talked about, and then expanding into kind of advertising um, and then this marketplace discovery business that they've got. I, I think there's a lot of fascinating things to, to tie into the points you raised there, Albert. But the one that I wanted to sort of dive into is the relationship between Spotify and the license holders of the music. So about 80% of all music in the world is owned by, you know, four holders, you know, like Warner Brothers. Like they just have a stranglehold on Taylor Swift, you know, Usher, your favorite artists. They've got the rights to that music and they've sold it on to Spotify to put it on their platform and Spotify have to pay them a price for that service. So out of these four providers that hold, you know, 80% of all of the world's music, they're taking a royalty, like a, a fixed amount of whatever Spotify charges its subscribers for them to listen to that music. So that that's just like a fixed overhead for Spotify. Usually in this game, you'd have, you know, your, your profits rise as you get more subscribers through the door because you've already paid as a business for your uh, online storage, your data centers, your web developers, all of that fixed cost, say it's uh, $100 million to get that all up and running. And then as you just get more subscribers in, it scales up and there's a turning point where you just make profit. The unfortunate thing for them is they're stuck in this cycle where a part of their profit, they just have to give over to these license holders. The key turning point will be when they can start making their own content. And this is the Netflix dilemma. The reason why they started transitioning to having their own studios, making their own content, is because they had the exact same problem where they had to pay the video rights holders for all of the television productions, movie productions as well. How do you see Spotify addressing this issue, Albert? Yeah, this is a really interesting kind of music handcuff for Spotify. So uh, historically, you're right, Dan, like subscription businesses, you know, we've seen it in SaaS, we've seen it in marketplaces, we've seen it in content companies we've analyzed, generally have pretty high margins because, you know, once you've made the content, once you pay for hosting, like the rest of it is just pure, pure cash. Spotify, by the nature of this royalty uh, issue that you've spoken about, actually handcuffs its margin that it produces at around 25% because every time someone plays a song, Spotify has to pay royalty fees in addition to the cost of distribution, so hosting, et cetera, um, streaming services, um, the cost of delivery, et cetera. Uh, the other layer that Spotify also has to pay, which is gets included in its margins, 
um, are dispute charges with record labels and Spotify is in consistent legal disputes with different record labels. So you can see as Spotify keeps its current existing model, it's going to continue to see this handcuff on its margin. Uh, you'll love this, Dan, because, you know, the lawyer in you. But the other thing is in some jurisdictions and Spotify has kind of flagged this as a huge risk. Royalty payments can actually be claimed years after something's streamed on Spotify, which means, you know, there's always going to be this constant uh, hit on its margin as people listen to music. Kind of like outline the huge kind of problem Spotify has. For free users, it actually makes very little profit. So for ad supported, which is, you know, the free users, it makes, it made 6 million in gross profit uh, in FY20. For premium users, it made 2 billion gross profit. So, <laughs> you know, the gross margin for, uh, you know, free users is 1%. And that's because for a free user, they're not paying anything for Spotify, but Spotify also has to pay the royalty fees for whatever that users listen to. They have to pay the distribution fees of hosting and sending that music to their device. You know, they've got to pay legal costs. They've got to pay marketing, etc. Um, so where Spotify is going, because it's got this challenge, so in order to scale successfully and grow as a business, it's got to push and vertically integrate in the same way that we've seen a lot of other Netflix-like companies have done, which is start producing its own content. And that's not you know, getting artists on the Spotify label. Spotify actually has started to shift towards other forms of audio, um, podcasts being, you know, one of its biggest ones. They've recently bought a number of major podcast studios. Dan, I feel like you're a podcast guru. You want to talk about Spotify's kind of shift into podcasting? I, I do, but I wanted to to hit on that point you just mentioned there about like vertically integrating with music artists themselves. And this is where I think for people in the creative industry, there actually is a bit of a battleground going on because Spotify is trying to incentivize creators to go through them and license their music essentially through them and cut out uh, those big distributors. Very similar to how YouTube does its model, it pays its creators a cut of any advertisements that are played over their YouTube videos to really incentivize creators to stay on the platform generate content for Google, who then in turn sell that content onto advertisers. So it's sort of like a, a profit-sharing arrangement where everyone wins in an ideal world. But you've got this sort of like really new model that Spotify is dipping its toes into where there's been criticisms, particularly in the UK, where it's like you'd have to have at least 3,000 plays on a single uh, music track just to get like 10 bucks, like minimum wage which if you think of the artist's time to produce that track might not be worth it. They've also got these, these odd um, incentive schemes where um, the artist might give up, you know, 15, 20% of, of their royalties for that particular track in exchange for Spotify boosting it into like discover playlists, things like that, which some artists have actually said, that's a good thing. Like I'll give up money now to get uh influence social reach and then once i've got a following i can run concerts and other things and i'll just make that money back so you know th there are differences there but when you think of vertically integrating there are so many benefits to it the tricky thing you have to remember is like 
you have to learn to play in a lot of different fields. Like if you were just like this tech company that runs a streaming platform and now you're trying to get into like payment disputes with music artists out back of a pub or something who just ran a gig, it, it's like a very different world. Uh, and that's something that Spotify has to get right if they are going to integrate. Do you see anything else on that music side? I mean, actually, uh, an interesting thing I came across was just like the benefit they bring the music industry in, in general. Like I think 20 years ago or so, there was about 12 categories of music. Now through Spotify, there's like 125 with like neo-Gothic and things like that that weren't really categories of music known before. And just the number of music tracks that are being distributed, it used to be like maybe 55 thousand tracks every year in the 80s and now that's every single day is being uploaded onto spotify so there's just like a huge boom for the spotify for the music industry and it's all happening on spotify at the moment yeah so uh i mean spotify has recently announced kind of a few expansions into their kind of music offering um you know they've started to offer in some markets um, what they call like Spotify Hi-Fi, which is like high fidelity music streaming, which promises, you know, CD quality or even high quality um, audio. So, you know, at streaming at the moment is compressed, which means the quality of the music is de- decreases through streaming services in order to make it, you know, very small packets that can be sent through to a phone that can be then listened to. But as people invest more into, you know, the quality of their audio devices, um, you know, headphones, um, speakers, etc. People want better sound. So Spotify is like, you know, uh, catering for that with Spotify Hi-Fi. The other thing they're doing, Dan, is go, goes to your point, is launching what they call the Spotify Marketplace. This is a two-sided marketplace where um, Spotify can work with artists to promote their music. So Spotify can not only let artists pay to be on, you know, these Discover tracks, like you said, um, it also lets um, artists you know, promote themselves with particular campaigns. So, you know, I could be an artist who wants to target, you know, 25 to 35-year-olds with this particular music. Artists can then buy time on people's Spotify feeds uh, and then advertise themselves that way. So Spotify is really pushing towards being that place for um, music artists to really uh, license themselves and promote themselves on that platform and cutting away those record labels as distributions. Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing will be whether they can cut them out because that, that, that seems to be the inefficiency in the system is, oh, I'm a creator, I think I've got a good singing voice, I then have to go to the gatekeepers of the industry, being these music labels, convince them I'm worth investing in and then they'll promote my music and that's how I get into the industry. and. You know, being a gatekeeper has all sorts of problems because, um, you know, we've heard in the Hollywood industry, pretty faces, favors, nepotism, all that's rife when you've got positions of power that gatekeep an industry. So there's a really compelling argument to why Spotify can open this up, let users sort of bargain for themselves what sort of deal they want to distribute their music and get out there to an audience. But it's, it's really nascent at the moment. It's really at its early stages. So who, who knows if it's going to be successful. If we pivot to the podcast discussion, Albert, I think we're both pretty bullish on where podcasts are going. But, but why are you excited about podcasts? I think so. Uh, podcasts at the moment, I'm going to say, is still a really immature uh, like area of the audio market. 
I know a lot of people do listen to podcasts, um, but in terms of like the podcasts out there in the last couple of years, we went from um, things like This American Life and Serial, which really became like the podcast, to, to more and more creators starting their own podcasts. And podcasting itself is completely different as a kind of value chain to creating music, right? Like you, you talked about, the, you know, the music industry and the gatekeepers. There are no gatekeepers in the podcast industry. You can literally record yourself on a phone or device and then upload it and then share it. Like distribution is all digital. Everything is done through marketing. There's no one there who's like, you know, producing your podcast. If you want to produce a podcast and have it really successful, you can do that and it can become a really successful podcast on its own merit due to the quality of the podcast. I think as people realize this and as like more, um, Ben Thompson used this word, like sovereign podcasters um, pop up who are, you know, independent of a network or start their own networks. You know, I, I think that really creates a huge change in how podcasting is done. So if, I think I'm bullish on podcasting, which then kind of the secondary question for me is like, is Spotify going to be the winner in podcasting? And to me, Dan, like it's probably a big yes. You know, they've recently bought um, a number of big podcast networks. Gimlet, um, who's a podcast network I do really like. They bought The Ringer, you know, one that we really liked. A few other things like Anchor, which is a, a recording RSS uh, a platform, Megaphone, a company called Louder, a podcast distribution company and discovery company called Pods, um, Betty Labs, which became in you know, a Spotify green room. Um, like Spotify is holistically creating an ecosystem where people can make podcasts, people can distribute podcasts, people can discover podcasts, and ultimately people can go to Spotify to find really high quality podcasts. And I don't think there are many other companies out there who have a very vertically integrated model like that just yet. Yeah, to, to give some numbers around the growth of podcasts, just last year there was um, about 885,000 new episodes. So that's about two new podcasts every minute. So Albert, maybe we have picked a pretty competitive market to try and play in. <laughs> uh, in comparison, you know, so that's about a third of how many books are published every single year, about 3 million books are published every year. Um, and it's about 10 times how many video games are published every year, about 88,000 video games are playing. So, so podcasts are obviously, you know, producing a lot of content. Um, but as we try and sort of predict what the future is going to be, and you started mentioning the competitors in this space, Albert, you got Apple with its Apple Podcasts network. You've got YouTube, which has got video content, but, you know, and then you've got Amazon as well, which plays in that sort of audiobook space. And what a lot of analysts have sort of talked about is the lower cost to acquire customers for these other companies. You know, you've already got YouTube um, premium users. You know, they use that subscription. Everyone with an Apple product automatically gets Apple Podcasts, Apple Connect on their phone. Um, and same with Amazon. People who sign up for Amazon Prime get with it these audiobooks and, and other things. So the cost of customer acquisition is quite low. They get, they get a head start, essentially. How does Spotify take up this gap? And I know you've mentioned sort of some of these exclusive podcasts which they're bringing on board, they're buying. So that becomes the draw card. If I want to listen to Gimlet, to Joe Rogan, to... Uh, the ringer 
I have to go to Spotify. Then as soon as I'm on the platform, you know, they can try and trap me there and essentially get everything I want in one place. Is that where you think they win? Yeah, I think this is uh, this is a really interesting point because the, the founder of Spotify actually came out earlier this year and, and talked about this, where he believes, and there's not a lot of data to show this yet, that um, the, the exclusivity of music versus podcasts drives completely different behaviors. You can, you can never have exclusive audio, in, uh, exclusive music, because it just goes against what record labels want. Like They want complete distribution of their music because artists want to go tour, so they want to increase their reach. Whereas podcasters um, aren't as so, uh, you know, necessarily choosy about, you know, those sort of things. And so people are more than happy to listen to Spotify exclusives and, you know, switch to other providers to listen to other Spotify or other podcasts. I think to your point, Dan, uh, customer acquisition is actually cheaper for podcasting than it is for music because there's less competitors in the market. So, you know, we talked about Apple Podcasts, et cetera. But for the most part, you know, that's really one of the biggest competitors to um, Spotify's podcasting offering because Apple Podcasts comes free with every, you know, phone or Apple phone and Google Podcasts comes pre-installed with any other Android phone. The other couple of things is um, podcasts are a lot more profitable than music. And the other thing is podcast listeners on Spotify convert at a much higher rate so convert from free to uh, paid than music. And so, you know, once you add all these things in, you know, there's no licensing deals to road margins, you know, paying for, um, you know, podcast or acquiring podcast customers leads to higher conversions, uh, et cetera. Like it's, it's a no-brainer that podcast is going to become, you know, Spotify's key core offering. And when it comes to competitors... You know, whilst companies like Apple, Amazon, et cetera, Google have a really big war chest, so they have so much cash that they're sitting on that they could easily acquire all the other best podcast networks. I don't necessarily think it's where they want to play yet. I don't think they've, they've made a decision to become the podcast company and allocate all their capital towards that. So I don't necessarily think that you'd have to worry too much about them yet. Yeah, a lot of analysts have suggested that Amazon, Apple, I've sort of been asleep at the wheel. I don't think they're asleep at the wheel in the sense that they're missing out on, on the next greatest thing. Like I think it's a conscious decision that they're allocating resources and their priorities to other areas of their business, which, by the way, are doing really, really well. So you can't really fault them. The, the interesting thing I've seen is that there's not going to be one winner here. Even the CEO of Spotify, Daniel Ek, he, he says that, if we're going to win this market, we need to have at least a third of it. So that means there's plenty of room for, you know, an Apple to exist as well and maybe a Google or an Amazon. So have sort of three major players. And that intuitively makes a lot of sense to me because when I look at this industry, podcasts in particular, and what Spotify are trying to do with these exclusives, it's very similar to the video game industry. You've got PlayStation you got Xbox and you got Nintendo. And guess what? You've got exclusive games on each of them. Why? Because then that incentivizes people to buy their gaming console only. And then once they've spent their money to buy that gaming console, they're, they're stuck and you can sell them the rest of the, the library of content, essentially. But the thing is, like, there's, there's three major players there. So that goes to show that you can have 
huge players sharing the marketplace. The other thing is like people have have multiple. Like there's people I know who have a Nintendo Switch and they got a PlayStation. Some people I know have all three, but like I don't think it's uncommon that you have definitely one, a couple, a proportional of the market will have two and a proportional will have three. That's an even less barrier when it comes to apps. And I think the the comparison is clearly like lots of people have Netflix and Amazon Prime and they've got Disney Plus and they've got Hulu. Like that's the sort of realm I think we're going to be in where it's not going to be so cost prohibitive to have a $10 subscription to Spotify and a $10 subscription to Amazon, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is like probably a, a sure thing as to what the industry is going to look like. It's going to be segmented up between these big players and people are going to move across all the platforms and have multiple on their account paying. Yeah, that's one lens to Spotify's business. And I, I definitely believe that's true. The other lens I, I think about is its music streaming business. And if user behavior is also the same for that, like would you have an Apple podcast or Apple music subscription as well as a Spotify subscription? I don't necessarily think that's true. So I think if, if Spotify is approaching this through the podcast lens and then keeping users sticky through music after podcasts, then I, I think that conversion probably works. I think, Dan, you know, I do switch between different podcasting apps. Like, you know, I use Spotify, then I use Overcast. And um, sometimes I use Apple Podcasts if there's something there exclusive that I want to listen to. But for music, I don't switch between those. And the reason is because my playlists are only on Spotify. And the act of actually making a playlist on Spotify or any sort of music app is actually what keeps you really sticky as a user. And I think this comes back to like Spotify's key competitive advantage, which we haven't talked about yet, is that they have a world-class discovery algorithm. Like Spotify's algorithm is probably one of the best in the world for discovering content. You know, it knows exactly what you what you want to listen to based on what you've previously listened to. It has Facebook integration, which means it has that data that you've got on Facebook to help recommend you music. You know, it's, it's, it's algo means that you get these like perfectly curated playlists that keeps you so sticky. And so if, I don't know if you pay for Spotify, Dan, but um, the way it pushes really hard for conversion is that if you're a free user, you, you, you can only skip tracks like eight times. So if you're listening to a playlist and you want to skip a song, you can't. So that's immediately called action to get a premium. You know, you can't get offline music. So if you want offline music, immediate call to action. You can't skip ads. Or you, well, you've, you've got ads. So <laughs> your immediate call of action, if you're listening to music and then you've got an ad that interrupts your flow, you can't change streaming quality. You obviously can't um, listen to music over um, 4G or cellular. There's all these different um, calls to action uh, in addition to Spotify's algo, which because you're listening to music and because you're listening to the right kind of music, and you want to skip a song, you can't, so you've got to pay for it. So I think based on that and leveraging that for podcasts, which they haven't done yet, but once they get podcast discovery done perfectly, I think Spotify is in a whole new world of how they interact and keep their users sticky. Yeah, and this is sort of where it goes to those categories of music that I mentioned before. When it comes to how the algorithm breaks it down, they've actually got 5,200 different genres which their algorithm has sort of just sort of classified 
things into so they can give you really targeted recommendations and i think the interesting thing that some tech companies don't do particularly well is taking a problem like that and then communicating it really well into an interface for people to, to click into intuitively so like when we think of oh well, what sort of music do i want to listen to they've got this really nice way of framing it for the user they've got like rainy sundays which is like such an abstract way of, of thinking about what do I want to listen to, but they've clearly translated what an algorithm tells them into a feeling like, like that a human can identify and relate with. You know, they've got breakup songs, those sorts of things as well, like emotionally laden um, tracks, which are then categorized into these playlists and then discovered by, by people, which is, is driving as you say, Albert, like I think a whole heap of engagement. And an interesting one is like I've seen some of their features and one of the ones which gets me is your like top listens of the year. So around New Year you'll see on Instagram lots of people post like, oh, these are my top 10 tracks. Yes, yes, so shareable, so shareable. So shareable. But the other thing is like that's a window into like what your life was like. You know, I remember there was a time in terms of my listening habits, I would often listen to like one song on repeat just over and over and over again. And now what that means is when I listen to that song, I'll remember, oh, I was doing that uni assignment at that time because it was just on repeat over and Mm. over again. Mm. Like I remember very clearly moments in my life based on those soundtracks. And so when they've saved in my profile really conveniently, like my top songs from 2019, 2020, 2021, now I've got a real, you know, friction if i leave this platform it's like losing all your photographs or something like from icloud or switching over it's like you don't really want to lose that history that you've got and they've tied it really nicely to the platform itself so yeah i think they're doing a phenomenal job do you do you see them any way that some of the competitors can bring this on board because it's just apple is nothing like that no to be honest like i i don't see Oh, I see it really difficult to replicate the same mood that Spotify can uh, enhance or create based on the um, the playlists either users make. You know, Dan, you're talking about sentimental value. Like, I completely agree. There's like there's songs in my like Spotify playlist or playlist I've made. But like, oh, this is from like this house party or you know, I, I've got a playlist I still listen called, called "Write Your Damn Thesis" from when I was writing my honest <laughs> thesis that you know I still listen to because it reminds me of that. Um, I think the other thing is like people make really specific playlists based on mood and because you can discover those playlists, people stay so sticky. Like there's one I love called a main character in 2000s movie getting ready for the day that'll change my life. And and it's just a playlist that has songs that make you feel like you're the main character. Like you, you can't get that kind of uh, richness of playlists or discover that richness of playlists on other platforms just yet. So which is why I think Spotify is going to be, you know, one of these enduring companies because they've got this wealth of content and the right ways to discover that content. And it's just funny as I flick through my notes here, like everything we're talking about is very intentionally targeted by Spotify because it's sort of an excerpt I've taken out of their their annual filings. This is a statement they say about themselves, which just encapsulates everything we've been talking about, Albert. They say... We are in the discovery business. If discovery drives delight and delight drives engagement and engagement drives discovery, 
we believe Spotify wins and so do our users. And like we've done this, Albert, for our own podcast. That's the flywheel right there. Like they've just got each part driving the next and they're driving like a really compelling business. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think as they shift towards other types of audio, they can leverage the learnings from both those things, you know, content and discovery to to honestly become a, a really amazing business that owns the audio space and ultimately becomes ubiquitous with audio. So, Albert, what's our concern then? I think we've been so bullish on this podcast sort of side of things, the algorithm, the user experience. But what keeps holding me back is this relationship with the big labels they've got because it is literally like for our listeners out there, it's like being handicapped. Like they're entering this foot race with a 10-kilogram ball just strapped to their left leg and they have to run that race. I think that's what's going to hold them back until they can solve that problem. That's like a major stumbling block, hurdle, weight, whatever, on their business until they can solve that. What do you reckon? Yes, Dan, to be honest, uh, that is such a key risk for Spotify. Like if you look at from a numbers perspective, without even looking at Spotify's kind of narrative as they change, this is a business that holds margin steady and holds margin steady because they've got to pay these royalty fees. At the same time, the average revenue per user is declining and has declined every year. So if that keeps declining, then you've got to keep paying out royalty fees. Ultimately, you're never going to be a profitable business, particularly as you strip and reinvest your you know, profit or your cash back to acquire a lot of podcast companies. If you can't get podcasting to help elevate the profitability of Spotify, then ultimately, this is just a really bad business that can never improve margins because it's handicapped by um, you know, royalty fees, by distributors, by artists and is not particularly, you know, competitive because there are so many other players out there who do music streaming. And so you're just left with a low margin, bad business. So so what's your final verdict, Albert? I think my final, I'm obviously very bullish on Spotify from, you know, how enthused I have been talking about it. I think for me, no one has won audio yet. Weirdly, audio is becoming a place where people want to compete and play. And I think given Spotify's algorithm, its discovery, its user base, its shift into podcasting, other types of audio, like I'm very bullish on that. The key caveat for me, Dan, is will pod, like will the podcasting push really help Spotify get exponential growth? Because if it can't, then like I said, it's just a bad business with poor margins. Yeah, I mean, I think... I was actually really hesitant on it coming into this episode because struck like when I look at structural issues, those are ones where as an investor, like it's really hard to walk past that and just be like, oh, it, it'll be right. It'll, it'll solve itself. Like there is a structural issue with their business model where, you know, whether it's fair or unfair, they have to give a fixed amount to these big labels to pay for the content that they use. Can I see this being solved in the future? I definitely can see them overcoming this issue. And this is something that Ben Thompson, who's sort of a writer that we both like to to listen to his opinions a lot now, but of Stratechery, you know, he's seeing this trend in the tech industry, so across the Googles, the Netflix, even the Ubers, is that as aggregators consolidate demand, they gain power over supply. So at the moment, if you think of the problem that Spotify has is 
the big labels have got the supply of 80% of the content, but Spotify have got control of the demand because they've got, as we've talked about, that user interface. They're directly linking with the people who consume music. Like they can control how much they want to listen to particular artists and particular music. And I think there's going to reach a point where if more and more people get on the Spotify app, the big labels can't just say, we're no longer going to put our product on your platform if you don't give us a good enough clip. At some point, there's just going to be so many people on the Spotify app that Spotify can say, you're going to reduce your clip to like 5% because you want to access our huge audience. And they're going to renegotiate their deal around that. And I think I can see that happening because already, you know, for Warner Brothers, one of the big labels, about 30% of their revenue is from Spotify or from these sort of music streamings. So like as that creeps up and up and up and becomes more of a proportion of their revenue, it's going to become a deal that they can't walk away from and it's going to drive their prices lower. So I think as we move forward in the future, I can see Spotify addressing that issue. I think it's really smart of them as well to just hedge their bets and go after this sort of podcasting, organic audio side of the business too. So uh, I think it's actually rare for me. I tend to be quite a, a conservative, uh, the conservative one of the duo Albert. I'm, I'm really quite keen on Spotify as a business. Nice, nice. Is it because you're a, a user? Yeah, it's definitely part of it. Like you get an insight to how they're using things. It, it seems to me to be like a perfect combination of, as we're talking about, you know, really first-class tech algorithms behind it. And then what I like to see is like just a really nice like emotional con- connection to their users. Like they've just got a really clean um, way of doing business in-house, back-of-house, front-of-house. Yeah, I think that's kind of what Spotify has suffered from, if I want to sum it up. It has suffered from like incredibly good product execution. Like everything about the Spotify product is like world class from the user journey and converting, you know, a free user to a paid user, um, you know, the paid user experience. Um, you know, the app is amazing. You know, it's got all these integrations really nicely laid out. Discovery is amazing. Like from an execution perspective, like Spotify should be the case study for how to make a really great product. But from like a business perspective, like, you know, we're talking about it's handcuffed with licensing fees. I don't ever think that's ever really going to go away. I don't think, you know, I've never read a uh, a headline where it's like record label or artist is really satisfied with the, the cut it gets from Spotify. <laughs> and And so because it's been so focused on product execution, it hasn't, you know, looked after its business hygiene and now it's trying to look after its business hygiene and it's whether it can do that before it crashes and burns or before another competitor wins out. Yeah. I mean, the one thing I'll just tack on to this is I've seen just through my connections in, in the Indonesian market, they seem to be doing a really good job of penetrating non-English speaking markets, which, you know, I think we already said Apple and Amazon a little bit behind the ball game. But if you start thinking about like non-English media non-english music non-english podcasts huge markets out there and i've already seen that spotify making inroads into indonesia one of, i think it's the largest social media user base in the world with you know almost 300 million people there almost all of them on social media they've got exclusive podcasting deals with key celebrities over there so they're they're not just looking at the english speaking world they're looking to capture you know everything 
Nice. I think that's a good, good place to wrap up, Dan. All right, Albert, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to the Fresh Capital podcast, a podcast about companies and investing told in a refreshingly simple way. All this talk about Spotify might have got you thinking, when was the last time I went to the Spotify app? Well, why don't you just hop into it right now, find the Fresh Capital podcast, if you haven't already, if you're an Apple podcast as well, and just click follow. Really, really helps us out. So thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya.